question is, why is the resurrection of Christ such a big deal? I mean, out of everything in Scripture, why the resurrection? I mean, I, I personally, I get the incarnation that, that God of the universe that spoke everything in existence came down as a human being to live with us. I get the, the Jesus' life and ministry, which is amazing, captivating. I mean, even non-Christians are amazed by Jesus' life. And I get the cross where he paid for our sins. But why the resurrection? So my, my goal, as Brent asked me, I told myself, I need to study why the resurrection is so important. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? And it actually led me to an interesting passage that uh, maybe hasn't been preached on an Easter Sunday. I, I'm not sure. But it's Ephesians 1.15. So if you have your scriptures, please open them up to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. I think we're going to have them on the board here. If you didn't bring scriptures, you can follow along. Ephesians 1, verse 15. It's an interesting passage that we're going to look at this morning because it's actually a prayer. It's a prayer. Let's just go through it. Ephesians 1, chapter 15 says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That, verse 17. This This is a prayer Paul prays continuously. I do not cease... For the church of Ephesus. If you ever wondered what Paul, inspired by, by God, would pray for our church, this is probably close, and this is what he says. I do not cease praying, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. That you may know. Paul prays, that the church of Ephesus would have knowledge. Knowledge. He prays for knowledge. He doesn't pray that they would feel encouraged or feel loved. He doesn't pray for protection. He's not praying for jobs or wealth or health. He prays for knowledge. Look at the words. The spirit of wisdom. Their hearts enlighten. A revelation of the knowledge of him. A knowledge of God. Paul was praying for correct, strong sound theology, right? Theology is a fancy word. Theos is Greek for God, and ology is the study of, that they would know God and know him well. Honestly, as a pastor, I don't know if I've ever prayed that. I've tried to practice that. I've tried to teach sound theology, but I don't know if I've ever prayed for our church to have sound theology. But that's what Paul would pray for, and he prays in particular for two things. Look at verse 18. It says, that you may know What is the hope to which he called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That that the church would know the hope they have as Christians. That they would know the glorious inheritance that's promised to them, that that is theirs through Christ. That they would know, honestly, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, 3 through 14, what he just wrote a few uh, chapters earlier, or that same chapter earlier, an amazing passage, one of the deepest passages in Scripture, is that the church would know that passage. But the second thing he prays for, that they would know, verse 15 says this, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul prayed that the church would know the power of the resurrection. That kind of amazed me as I was studying and brought me to this passage and, and kind of I just read over those things and go, yeah, it's something Paul would say, something we would say as Christian. But Paul continuously prayed that they would know the power of the resurrection, not the power of God speaking everything into existence, the, the earth, the stars, the moon, not the power of the ten plagues where, where God displays this amazing act of power, not the power of the parting of the Red Sea, not the power of flooding the whole earth, But look what Paul says. He is praying that the church knows, verse 19, the immeasurable greatness, his power, his great might. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. God's power raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I mean, think about this. The Old Testament in in Genesis, Pharaoh had power. Pharaoh was the the king of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And, And you think of the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery. Then he was thrown into prison. Pharaoh had the power to raise Joseph out of prison, to seat him at his right hand, and make him second in command of all of Egypt. That's pretty powerful. I mean, even our own president doesn't have that power. He has a limited power. He can't just put whoever he wants a second command of our country. But compare this to the power of God. Jesus wasn't in prison like Joseph. He, he wasn't in the lion's den like Daniel. Jesus was arrested, beaten, falsely accused. He was innocent, brutally killed. Hanging on a cross, naked and alone, despised, stricken, pierced, condemned, and crushed by God for our iniquities, for our sins. According to Isaiah 53, Jesus was killed. He was dead. He was in the tomb. He was a corpse. And then three days later, God raised him up and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, I mean, talk about lowly positions, death, dead. That's the lowliest position there is. In the tomb, in a grave, and raised up to literally the heights of heaven. The highest position there is. And not just that, he raised them, verse 21, far above all the rules and authority and power and dominion. That's a Jewish idiom for for the the angelic beings. In other words, Jesus is over the angelic beings. He's, He's been given authority over angels, over demons, and over Satan himself. And not just above, verse 21 says, far above all rule and authority and, a pa- and power and dominion. And, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over um, things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I mean, it doesn't get any higher. Right? Philippians 2.9 says this in the same, same vein and same In the same way, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every name should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue can confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. That's an awesome display of power and authority. From death to the name that's above all names. But as I was studying this and I was getting excited, I asked myself another question. Why does Paul so badly want us to know this power? This power. I mean, we're celebrating Jesus this morning, but, but why does Paul want us to know this power that raised him? Why would Paul not stop praying that we would know the power of the resurrection, the power of Jesus being dead to seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places? I just kept asking myself this. Why? Why? God praying, why? And then it hit me. Look at the very next verse. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead. Listen. Death is an enemy. Death is a curse. Death it was not a part of God's original creation when he made man and the earth. It was a punishment for sin and rebellion against him. Romans 6.23 makes this clear. For the wages, it's like you're, what you get for what you've done. For the wages of sin is death. 1 Corinthians 15.21 says, For as by one man, a man, Adam, came death. Right? Adam's sin in the garden brought death. Death was a curse on Adam and every person born to Adam since. This is what the curse is in Genesis 3.19. It says this, By the sweat of your face you shall eat. In other words, you will work until you return to the ground, until you die. And out of it you are taking from, or for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam, you will die. You will die. Because of this original sin of Adam, this world we live in was not the world that God originally created. We live in a fallen world. A world surrounded by death. I mean, if you know anything about the, human, or the history of humanity, it's death. If you just turn on the news, it's death. Something in this world went wrong. I don't care if you're a Christian this morning or not. You have to admit that. And look what Paul says in Ephesians 1 or 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Right? We're dead. That, that word dead in Greek, there's two words that you can use, that the Bible uses commonly uh, for dead. The first one's thanatos, which is used 120 times, which means dead, or it could mean in danger of dying. There's another word, though, necros. It's used 128 times, but both of these are used pretty evenly. Dead, corpse, dead body. Which word do you think Paul used here? Necros. Corpse. And you were dead, a corpse. How? Well, this is spiritual death because he says, in which you once walked, right? Physical death or physical, physically alive because you can walk, but spiritually dead. Actually, the Bible talks about three types of death. And I want to be clear this morning. All types apply to you if you're not saved. 
The first type is physical death. We're all dying. The second type is eternal death. That's eternity in hell. It's eternal punishment. But the third type is spiritual death. What is spiritual death? Well, before you were saved, you were dead in your relationship with God. You're lifeless to God. You're unable to respond to God, unable to do God's will, unable to desire God. One commentator, I think, just summed this up really well. He said this, Spiritual death means that the most vital, the most important part of who we are, man's personality is the spirit, the inner man, the spirit, that's who we are, is dead to the most important factor of life, God. And Paul makes sure that you know what he's saying because he uses the word net cross, corpse. Not dying, dead in the tomb. Completely spiritual, dead. Following, verse 2 says, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, which that's Satan, uh, their spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Dead, lifeless, destined for judgment. Children of wrath, meaning wrath was like our father. Wrath is the Greek word. It's a genitive, of, uh, it's a genitive word for destiny, meaning children destined for wrath. Children destined for hell. And you want to talk about lowly position? <laughs> That's who we were, right? Before salvation, we were dead corpse spiritually, living in the realm of trespasses, living in the realm of sins, following the course of this world under Satan's dominion, under the spirits found in the sons of disobedience, living in the lust of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body, carrying out the desires of our mind by nature, destined for wrath, destined for hell utterly hopeless. But then comes two of the most beautiful words you will find in Scripture. Verse 4, but God. But God. Look at verse 1. And you, that's who you were. That's what you did. And you, dead. Corpse. Verse 4, but God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, raised us from the dead together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is a free gift. Look closely at verse 6. And raised us up with him, Christ, and seated us um, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look back at verse, chapter 1, verse 20 real quick. God, he raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now look at, at chapter 2, verse 6. God raised him up with him, or God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing sentence. All right, let me just break it down for you real quick. The subject of this sentence, if you like grammar, the subject is God. 
right? It's active verbs that are used, meaning God is the one that's acting. It's his work. And there's three verbs that are used here. Made us alive in verse 5, verse 6, and raised us up with him, and, and, and verse 6, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what's really amazing about this verse? It's all three verbs are past tense. Meaning, it is so certain that we will reign with Christ in the heavenly places. For us that have put our faith in Christ, to God's already happened. Jesus' resurrection is proof of our salvation. It guarantees our salvation. It guarantees a future reign with Christ in eternity where there will be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrows, no more sin, no more temptation. Just perfect relationship with God for eternity. Perfect joy forever. Christ's resurrection shows us that God has the power to raise the dead to life. Christ's resurrection shows us that, that Christ's work on the cross was pleasing to God. He paid for our sins. God's justice was satisfied. His wrath was satisfied. And therefore, we are welcomed and adopted into God's family. I mean, that's good news. If you read the gospel, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're in Luke right now. If you read the gospels, you'll see Jesus had power, right? Amazing power, amazing miracles. He had power over the natural world. He had power over the supernatural world. He had power over disease. He had power over sickness. He had power to forgive sins. But the resurrection shows us that Jesus has power over death. And that's most important. Jesus' miracle showed us that Jesus was God in the flesh, creator, the Messiah, the Son of God. But the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead shows us that Jesus has resolved the most devastating consequence that sin has brought into this creation. Death. To show us that he is the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. Eternal life, except through him. John 14, 6. So, why does Paul so badly want us to know about this resurrection power? Well, let me say this. If you are a Christian this morning, he wants us to celebrate. Wasn't this an awesome celebration so far? He wants us to be joy-filled and celebrate. You are dead and now alive in Christ. Your salvation is guaranteed. And Paul also wants you to know, if you're a Christian this morning, if you've put your faith in Christ, that that resurrection power is in you. To overcome sins. To get you through some hard circumstances. To glorify God with your life. And we celebrate that, too. But I want to be honest, too. I know we have a lot of guests this morning, and I don't know where everyone is. There's a lot of people this morning, and I am thankful for that. If you're not a Christian, if you've never put your faith in the Lord, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. 
and all three types of death are still hanging over your head. Spiritual death, you're separated from God. Physical death, you will die. And eternal death, hell. But here's the good news. For the wages of sin is death, but the second part of the verse says this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is offering you life this morning. He's offering you life this morning. So this is what I'd like to do. We don't do this very often here at Country Oaks. I want to do something a little different. If you just close your eyes and put your heads down right now, I want everyone just to close your eyes. I want to talk to anyone that is not sure where you stand with the Lord this morning. If you don't know where you are with the Lord and your relationship with Him, and you want to accept that free gift this morning, would you just raise your hand real quick? No one's looking. All right, you can put your hands down. I want to say this. All you have to do, if you've raised your hand, I'm talking to you. Repent and believe. Repent just means ask God for forgiveness. I mean right now, in your heart, he can hear you. Ask for forgiveness. Turn from your sins. Go after Christ. Make him your treasure. And believe. Believe that Christ went to the cross and paid for those sins. And that if you put your faith in him, you're saved right now. And on the third day, he was raised, conquering death, and he is now seated at the right hand. And if you do that, you are guaranteed to be with him. For, the, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that's belief. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. I want to ask one more thing, too, and this has nothing to do with your faith and belief in, in, in the Lord, but I, I'm asking you as a pastor, if you just prayed to God right now, and if you put your faith in Him, or if you want to, if you still have questions, we're about to sing a song. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song, and I'm going to ask the elders to come up after I'm done praying. The pastors and the elders are going to stand up here, and I've just asked you, come talk to one of us. Come talk to one of us. Don't leave this place without telling someone that you have put your faith in Christ and let's celebrate together. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are amazing, Lord. That you would send your son so that we could have life, Lord. That we could have life. He lived that perfect life that we couldn't, that we didn't live. He died on the cross for our sins, Lord, but then you raised him from the dead because you have power over death. And we need to follow you. We need to follow you and, because you are the one that has the answer to the, the thing that is the greatest enemy of ours, and that is death, Lord. So we celebrate this morning. Lord, for those that have put their faith in you this morning, Lord, we celebrate that. That there was, there was death that has been brought to life, Lord, that's all you. We thank you. For us, Lord, our own lives who, who, who were people that were born in rebelling to you, born separated from you, Lord, that you have brought life to us, Lord, and that we celebrate this relationship we have with the God of the universe, Lord. I pray that we celebrate that this is a joy-filled time, God, because we are guaranteed to reign with you, Lord, for eternity. Oh, God. 
We are so thankful for you. Amen. He is risen.